Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. We're going to be in 2 Peter, so if you have your Bible, turn there. It might take you a bit. Uh, it's in the back of the New Testament. The last canonized book of the Bible that we consider the Bible. So the last Bible that we accept as true God-inspired writings. 2 Peter's the last one that got in. If you watch Survivor, like I do, you, 2 Peter might be the first one voted off. Okay, but it's good, it's great, it's fantastic, there's nothing wrong with it, it just, it just barely got in. So we turn there because 2 Peter is written by, yes, Peter. A guy we would not allow to work at this church. 2 Peter, Peter wouldn't be allowed to work here based on some of the decisions we know Peter did. Let's face it. I know, why am I working here? Yeah, I get it. But the truth is that God continually redeems us, that we are never disqualified. So as we walk into this, you need to know that we are going to find that Peter, right out of the gate in this book, is saying that none of us have an excuse to quit, to wait, to passively wait for something to happen. That is a falsity. That to look into the scriptures is to see that it is knowledge applied that is what Christ is pushing us to. I, uh, I didn't know, nobody really knows what they know until you need to know it, right? You don't really know if you have what it takes. Most of us walk into a situation and we wonder what to do. What do we do here? Somebody says, will you help me? You say, sure, but you don't exactly know how you'll participate in that help. Uh, one time my father-in-law had three daughters. I'm married to one of them. And he was chomping at the bit to have a guy around who could help. I didn't have anything to offer him, I thought. He said, will you help me fix a rotten log on my log home? Sure, I'll help. So we get out there, we get really nothing out there. There's no tools, just a chair. My father-in-law sat in that chair and he looked at the rotten log and I was standing next to him waiting for him to tell me what to do. And his words were, what do you think we should do? Well, that's really not my role here normally. I'm the 18 year old that people tell what to do. Nobody to this point had asked my opinion that I can recall about anything, especially in this realm. I said, I don't know. He said, well, think about it. What have you done in your life that might be able to fix this lock? And he just let it sit there. I was waiting for him to kind of take the pressure out, tell me what he was really thinking. But here's the truth. He didn't really know how to fix it either. And so he looked at me and he said, well, what do you think? I said, well, one time I saw my dad, who's a carpenter, when he was trying to make a cut out of something, he would take a circular saw and he would make like a bunch of little cuts in between the dimension and then he would knock it out with a hammer. He's like, well, what could we use to do that? I said, a chainsaw. He said, yes. So then I went and got the chainsaw. And he said, well, how do you think you'll get up there to do that? What if we backed your truck up and then I stood on something on the back of your truck and did that? He said, well, what do we have here for you to do that? 
okay, I'm getting into this now. I'm like, problem solver, here we go. I'm like, what about that ladder? He's like, okay, we'll put the ladder over the bed of the truck. And I said, then we'll put a board over the ladder and I can just walk down and make little notches in this log and then we'll take a sledgehammer and knock them out. Genius. He said, great, do it. Back the truck up, got the ladder, put the board up. I'm going along, I'm sawing down and all of a sudden I fall off the truck with a running chainsaw because the ladder was hanging over the bed of the truck and I fell. Did he get up? Did he say, hey, are you okay? He said, do you think you can get back up there and finish? <laughs> yes, but we'll have to move the ladder. But what that began to do inside of me is what happens to us when we start to use our faith. Is from that point forward, I knew that although maybe unorthodox, there was something inside of me that in random situations and in things that needed, I could be of some assistance. And it began to give me the confidence to walk into situations and say, you know what, I've actually done something crazier than what you're doing. I had a small movement in that, and today if I could condense the book of 2 Peter, it would be, please do something with what you know. Because the only way to know anything is not knowledge, it's applied knowledge. And I, I can prove this to you. Because if you've ever hired somebody to come to your home, have you ever done that? Or maybe you're the person that is hired to come to people's homes. If you're not the person doing the work, you have a knowledge of what it takes. You, you watched a YouTube video. You saw it. Maybe you read a book. Maybe you bought the Time Life construction series and you know how to in theory do these things then your knowledge you know what it does it makes you feel pretty good and then people show up and you know what you say I wonder what's taking so long you know when you stop saying that when you do it when you do it you're like man geez, I guess those guys are pretty fast I guess those guys are hard workers because applied knowledge makes all the difference and we're walking around with knowledge. And we're not applying it. We have lots of biblical knowledge, but 2 Peter is imploring us that if when we're prepared and active of what we know, then we don't get puffed up. Rather, we're just ready to share what has so greatly been given. Because applied knowledge brings humility. Applied knowledge always brings humility. Unapplied knowledge always brings pride. That's why whenever you have somebody in your family that's a college professor, they're like, yeah, he's a college professor. Right? College professors are all about knowledge. Most of them have not applied that knowledge. Pride comes with unapplied knowledge, and that's what Peter is driving us to. Peter knew this better than anybody. Peter's the guy that always came in. He always said something. He always tried something. He always did something. He always looked foolish. He understood what it meant as our knowledge grew, that our action grew at the same rate. Our big idea is this. To follow Christ, we must learn what he said and do what he did at the same time. It isn't enough to know what he did. We have to do what he did. 
Doing what Christ did brings about the right amount of humility. It brings about the right amount of perspective. It brings about an, an introspection into ourselves that gives us a heart to reach the lost, the annoying, the frustrating, the repetitive. Unapplied knowledge just says, if you'll be like me and I can tolerate you for enough time, then I perhaps will share what I know about you. But applied knowledge says, everything I know about Christ, I can't believe he saved my life. And because I can't believe he saved my life, I'm not good enough either. So it means that you deserve what I have too. Because Peter knew that better than anybody. Because on that beach, when he was in his boat, when he had left basically everything Jesus had done and said to him, and now he's on a boat just going back to what he knew, Jesus found him and called him out and served him breakfast. And after they had a discussion, he looked at Peter and he said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And you know what he said? He didn't say, then you better know more about me. What did he say? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Stop sitting, stop going back to what you know and start doing something that matters. Take what little knowledge you have and apply it to such a level that you want to gain more knowledge. Stop sitting back waiting to know enough to do something. In the scriptures, it is not there. We are not called to some amount of knowledge. Peter implores us. So here's what he says. If you're there, Good, we're going to start in verse 1 and go through verse 11. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Yours might say bond servant. He says, I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. And may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus. It is not anything that we did. We were given this. It came through the justice and fairness of Christ. Not your work, not your actions, not your goodness. Not my goodness, not my smarts. Not my Bible IQ. It came from something I didn't deserve. And then Peter says this in verse 2. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge. Man, I've, I've taken college classes before. I've sat in really quiet libraries where my keyboard was too loud and I was asked to be quiet. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Like my keyboard was... And people are like, sir. And I'm like... One button at a time, right? I've been there, right? There's no need for grace and peace when I'm learning. It's not really anything. Applied knowledge requires grace and peace because unapplied knowledge brings pride and arrogance. So if I don't take what I know and apply it, I don't need it. So you're probably sitting here going, I don't, why do I need it? Because when we apply what we know, we're going to need grace and peace more and more. It says this in verse 3, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. 
We have received all of this by coming to know him. That's accepting his free gift through Christ. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, listen to this. He has given us great and precious promises. He's given us great and precious promises. These are things that you and I can hold to. Some of them, some of them are kind of scary. John 16, he says what? In this world, you will have many troubles, but fear not. Why? Because I have overcome the world. And when we walk in him, when we follow him, when Peter is telling us, hey, be careful of internal church lies, heresy, the way of taking the scriptures and applying it to benefit yourself. Peter's first Peter was, hey, be careful of all this persecution that's going to come. It's going to make you want to forget and walk away from your faith. Second Peter's all about don't make this about you. And he's saying, hey, Christ gave us precious promises. That doesn't sound really exciting for me. Sounds like a figurine at a gift shop. Precious promises. But what these are, are ways that no matter the circumstance, and there are people in this room today who life has slapped them in the face. And if it hasn't slapped you, it will slap you. And if it's currently doing it, let, I want you to know that these are the precious promises we hold on to. But so often, we sit on a knowledge base. We think that coming to church is somehow part of of some spiritual life we're living. Listen to me. I'm a fan of church. Church is good for me. I'm also a fan of preaching, but I need you to know this is the least affected, effective mode of ministry that I have. Do you know why? Because if I left here after this service and we went to Rancho Grande and I said, hey, two things I said that changed your life that you were going to do this week. Most of you would be willing to lie to me or would not even know. And it's not even your fault. It's because this is not an it's it's great and it's useful and it's needed, but we are a partnership in a grander plan that is to reach the people outside of here. And it isn't about acquiring more knowledge or you and I would be winning it. It's about taking that knowledge and doing something that matters. And so we're all praying that we don't have to share our faith because it mortifies us when that is the only thing we need to do. And so Peter's like, hey, I get it. Just cling to the promises of Christ. But so often we let life bring the action to us. And when life brings us the action, it is horrible and it is hurtful and it is debilitating. We've got to learn those promises. We've got to do those things. We've got to be ready. But when we're moving with the knowledge we have, then we are ready to take on anything that comes. To follow Christ, we must learn what he said and do what he did. There are, this is what it says in the continuation of verse 4. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. These promises, they aren't just something to remember and write on your like mirror. You should do that. But the purpose of these promises is so that you can endure what the world is bringing. 
It's not so that you can get better. It's because it's assuming you'll be so active that you'll need something to cling to. And that you'll say, man, if Jesus said in John 14, 12, that he tells me the truth, that whatever he did, I'll do even greater things than him. It isn't about acquiring more knowledge. It's about doing more with what I know. And this corruption, it helps us not compromise the faith to benefit ourselves. It's easy to do. It's so easy to do to say, no, God, it's not fair. I'm here. I've done your things. Now, where is this back to me? When you are at the center, that's what Peter's warning against. When you put yourself at the center, it's heresy. It's not the Bible. It's not the scripture. It's not the gospel. But these promises are things that we cling to. There are Listen, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, anywhere, there are books, you can look it up on the internet. The promises of Christ are all over. And they're what we cling to while we're moving towards the truth and the action. But there's something that we can do because it's hard. Because your faith takes movement. And while your faith is building, there are things that we can do to build it up, to supplement it. Listen, I, I'm going to stand behind this table and tell you there were days that I worked out a lot, right? There were a lot of days that I worked out still, not like I used to, but when I was pretty serious, I would go to the store and anybody could get me if they walked up and said, sir, if you take this supplement, you will get the results you desire faster in, done. What is it? If it had the word anything in it, builder, stronger, leaner. Boom, done, it, it's done. Can I take all of these together at the same time? Yes, sir, you can. Great, can I have, how many can I take at once? Uh, how much of this can I drink? How much of this can I be a part of? I wanted to supplement what I was doing so that I could get where I wanted to go faster. It's really not the way it works. And I'll say this, GNC got to me, still sending me emails, even though I'm really not working out that much, I still look at it, I'm like, okay, that might help me jumpstart it. Sometimes I need a jumpstart. I'm like, hey, babe, 120 bucks, I'm gonna jumpstart this thing. <laughs> right, thank you. It's hypothetical, but thank you. And just so you know, from this point forward, everything I say is completely rhetorical. Uh, so, I'm with you. It doesn't work. But there are things we can do to supplement our faith because we are trying to go somewhere. And Peter is writing to these people and he's saying, hey, your faith, living out, adhering to, and believing the precious promises of Christ is going to get beat up. And to supplement it, you need to do these things. And these are things that you and I can participate in. These are things you and I can do. This is what it says in verse 5. In view of all of this, the fact that we must cling to these promises of Christ, the idea that we will do more than even He did. Now, granted, there's a whole lot there. But He is calling us to action. He's saying that in this world we'll have many troubles, but don't worry because He's overcome the world. John, 1 John, He said, 
Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So we have these promises of Christ. And while we're living them out in the world, guess what? People don't always jump on board. Have you ever had a plan? Have you ever had an idea? Have you ever like tried to like start a new tradition? It's like the most embarrassing thing in the whole wide world. Because like, you're like trying to do something spiritual, right, at your family. And see, your family knows everything about you. So you're like, hey guys, I read this. It's time to do this. So here, I want everybody to sit down. Everybody's like, sit down, what's dad doing? Yep, we're going to get spiritual. We're going to get serious. We right? have all this stuff, right? And it's awkward and it's uncomfortable. Have you ever tried it? I've tried it. But you've got to push through that. And what happens at the end, right? Is that we walk away with something great. But in view of all this, we need to make every effort to respond to God's promises. In view of this, in view of the faith that we have, in view of the things we must do, we must respond with all effort to the promises from God. And then he says this, supplement your faith with a generous provision. This is what you can do. With a generous portion, with a bunch of this, there is no law. You can do this as much as you want. There is no usage guide. It's not medication. It's not supplements. It's whatever you want to take. This is all you. Do this with a generous portion of moral excellence. What do you mean? Just live your life. How? Better than you should be. No, just live your life. The first thing you can do, the best thing you can do in order to follow Christ, in order to supplement your faith that is breaking, that is being busted by this world, the best thing you can do to adhere to the promises is to live a moral life. Yeah, it's, it's all the simple elementary stuff. Cheating, lying, stealing, gluttony, greed, all that. Live a life that morally is not better than everyone else, but it's as good as you should be. As much of that as you want. Then with moral excellent knowledge, get into the truth of who God is. There wasn't a Bible to these people. To transfer knowledge would be to sit under someone and have them tell you a story, someone's firsthand account of who Christ was, what Christ was all about. To learn about the law and the way to apply it. There was a way for them to gain knowledge and it couples with moral excellence. And knowledge, self-control. Now if you've ever known that, see there's a place. See a lot of times kids learn things and they want to come home and tell you about them. But you're not interested because it's not interesting. People want to tell you stuff that they know but it's not interesting because knowledge is not really interesting. Guys, just stop. She isn't interested in any of the things you're interested in, more than likely. Right, you, you probably don't have the same hobbies. She isn't interested in new uh, carpentry tools. She isn't interested in new uh, vehicle modifications. She isn't interested in new hunting gear. She isn't interested on the great deal you got at the deer lease. She isn't interested in any of that. And if she acts, she's just acting, right? But see, knowledge brings about this idea that we want to share that knowledge immediately. Hey, this hilarious thing I heard. Eh. Maybe not. See, but what knowledge comes with is the ability to know when the right time to use that knowledge is. 
self-control. I have an idea of who I am and when the knowledge is appropriate. And listen, guys, most of the things that we really enjoy, there's really not a great time for that. Campfire, maybe. But there is a knowledge that we gain that is there is a right time to use that knowledge. And it's more frequently than we use it. With knowledge, self-control, and with self-control, patient endurance. We're going to have a plan. We're going to leave here energized. We're going to leave here ready. We're going to say no more. We're going to do something. And what we're going to do is give up before it's time. Because if the world will bring us many troubles, then we need to know part of that is not just the effect it has on us, but the repulsion of the gospel that we carry. And if you want to do it, you better be willing to keep coming back and back and back and back in patient endurance with self-control, filled with the knowledge of God's promises and filled with, filled with your moral excellence, not for pride, but for a way to sustain what will be required. In patient endurance, godliness. The idea that I will look like Christ in my life, which is full of humility, which is able to walk into a situation and love the unlovable, which is willing to, despite what people deserve, to give them the opposite of that, remembering what we deserved. Godliness is the opposite of what the world says. You are not at the center. Then it moves on. Godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. This is a compounding list. It starts with the way you live your life, see yourself, behave your way, and it moves in a progressive way to the idea that you see everyone through the lens of Jesus Christ. If we want to cling to the promises, if we want to have a faith that endures, if we want to be able to continue to do it, if you don't, just keep coming to church. You'll be fine. It's great. I, I wouldn't even mind. We could call that you're doing God a favor. We could all high five. It's all fantastic. Good. But if you want a life not without pain, but if you want a life that's worth living, then try to do Second Peter. Second Peter. Try. Just see what it'd be like to step out in faith one time. To step out and say, hey, I heard you say that. I just want you to know that I'd love to pray for you. Hey, I just wanted you to know that I heard you say that I was good. I just wanted you to know that while I love to hear that, I want you to know that I'm not good. But I've been saved to do good things by the only good there's ever been in this world, Jesus. I just wanted you to know that. And if you ever want to lean into that, call me. It's faith. It's believing the promises. It's believing that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's believing the truth. Yes, this world will bring you many challenges. This world will bring you many pains. But don't fear because I've overcome the world. If God's for me, who could be against me? This isn't just like fun things to tell kids. This is something that we could use as a guiding light to live our life. And yeah, it won't be always better, but it'll be worth living. 
And a lot of times we're drowning in the product of what we've created and what the world says, great job, you're a model citizen. And we want that for our kids. Act right, do right, be right, polite. That's, man, that's important. But that should be the evidence of Christ living inside of them, not the qualification for what's good. And there's things we can do, but it all has to be working towards something and not our own benefit. And nothing on this list is for us. It's all for everyone else. That's what this gospel has been. That's what the gospel is, and it will not change. The heresy of making it about us, what we receive, what we feel better about, what we walk out of here and go, man, stepped on my toes a little bit, but, and that's, that's pointless. People have been telling me I stepped on their toes for 20 years, Brother Ed, for 50 years. But who's walking outside of these walls and saying, I don't deserve what I have and I'm going to give it away because somebody else is dying as a result. Somebody else is going to spend eternity away from God because I have not shared my faith. This is what it says in verse 8. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge. That knowledge is for a purpose, and that purpose is not you. That purpose is someone else. That's the truth. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting they've been cleansed from their old sins. To follow Christ, we must learn what he said and do what he did. We must die to self. Take up our cross daily. If you want to be my disciple, Jesus said, and every day you must pick up your cross and walk to your death. That means nothing about you, nothing for you, but only for those who do not deserve it. That is what we have been sent to. How productive, next step, sorry. How productive are you being? How productive are you being? What is the byproduct of your life for Christ? I don't need you to answer it. Actually, I would love it if somebody yelled it out, but I don't want you to. But the question is not if you agree with me or don't agree with me. The question is not if you like the book of 2 Peter or you don't like the book of 2 Peter. The, the, that's not the question. The question is where's the fruit in your life? Where are others coming to know the truth of what Jesus did for you? Where is that? If it's not there, I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm just saying, according to this, it's saying that when we cling to those promises, we'll be drawn to the truth. And others will be too. So this is not a, hey, I hope you feel bad. You all know the way I feel about guilt. It does absolutely nothing. Because... I knew when I grabbed those two kolaches this morning that I shouldn't be doing that, but I did it anyway, and I've consistently done it for like 20 years. None of us have been to a donut shop and said, guys, today we're making a good decision. What did you say? Hey, guys, Monday we're getting it right. Guilt doesn't do anything. Guilt doesn't prevent us. It doesn't move us. And it, 
But there is a conviction that comes from the truth of God's word. And that is what we're talking about today. And it simply starts with this. How productive are you being? Not how busy are you? Not all the reasons you don't. But what were you saved from that you're not saving others to and why? What kind of fruit are you producing? Lastly, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. It isn't saying we're saved by works. It's saying we've been saved to good works and those good works are for us to do. I'm not saved by what I do. I'm saved because God created me out of a passion. I am his workmanship. I'm his poem. And as a result of that, I have been created with things to do. I'm not saved by them. I'm created for them and saved to them. And it is my benefit to do those works. Do these things and you'll never fall away. This is active. This is not passive. Then this, then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's good news. And here's why it's good news. There's a point on this earth and there's a point in eternity. And both of those points should give us ample reason to tell someone else who's lost. There's a point of living on this earth with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's because people get to understand and see the benefit of a life lived not for themselves. The way we were meant to be. But then there's something at the end. And I don't understand it. And truthfully, most of the descriptions of heaven I do not want to go to. Right? I'm not really interested in streets of gold. I can't believe that that's our benchmark. But you know what? It's so much greater than anything we could imagine. And it's not some truth for everybody's truth. That's not what I'm saying. But heaven is an eternal place where we will feel a satisfaction of not wanting because everything we've ever wanted will be there in the creator of the universe, God. And it's kind of crazy and it's hard for us to understand. But there's a point to this. And it's yes, so that we can live on this earth, but it's yes, so that we can spend eternity with him. But this also means it's true, is that if there's a heaven, then there's also a hell. And again, this isn't fear. This is just the truth. There are people that are going to spend eternity there based on decisions they will make. And you and I have a part to play in sharing that truth. We do not have a part to play. And if they come to Christ, but we have a part to play to use our faith to supplement it in such a way that we would share, cling to the promises, and that we would not only know what Jesus said, but we would do what he did. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you. We ask you to use us to give us everything the way that you've already done that we need. The things that we can't even imagine we could do, we ask you to do those things for us. We didn't earn our faith. We didn't do anything to get our faith. You gave it all to us. And we ask you to do the same thing as we endeavor to do the work you've given us to do. 
Would you give us the ability to honestly look in our own lives and say, where is it? What is it? And how am I doing? Not to justify or receive some answer at the bottom, but to honestly know where we can begin to supplement our faith. So we ask you to help us cling to the idea of following Christ. The idea not of just learning, but of doing in an effort not to reach some level, but to share what Christ did for us even when we didn't deserve it. And we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.